Hello and welcome into another episode of the BCJ podcast, presented as always by our good friends at the Holy Grail. Get down to the Holy Grail this Saturday night for our BCJ watch party as the Bearcats take on the Oklahoma State Cowboys. Eight o'clock kickoff, uh, FS1, I think. That could be wrong. I don't know. Uh, but head on down there, support the guys that have supported us for a long time. Uh, great spot when you're ESPN watching. ESPN2. Oh, thank you, Aaron. ESPN2. See, I'm already already off. Uh, this is Chad's job. But uh, head on down there. Check them out. Bengals games, Bearcat games. They'll have you covered. Ice cold beers. And uh, maybe we'll get to, you know, see a Bearcats win. Maybe I'll show up and change the, uh, the luck of things. But uh, with that being said, we are uh, joined by McLean Baxley of GoPokes247. We had McLean on in the preseason to talk about Oklahoma State. We're going to have him on again to talk about Oklahoma State. Appreciate him uh, joining us. As always, the Big 12 Look Ahead segment brought to you by Team Ticker. Fabulous piece for your man cave, for your basement. Tons of updates, scores, odds, plays the fight song, all sorts of good stuff. Aaron's got the Bearcat one. What's Chad's got? What? The Seapaw? Seapaw, yeah. Seapaw, you can get them in Michigan State, Penn State. Still $25 off the purchase. Christmas is coming up. Perfect Christmas gift for the guy or lady that loves the Bearcats. So, you know. Check Over them out. six minutes of information that scrolls on that bad boy. There it is. I mean, a perfect, perfect piece for, as you can see what Aaron's got, a, uh, a whole big UC setup. So, you know, please check those guys out and support them as well. Like I said, joined by McLean Baxley. We're going to get right into it. After the Iowa State loss, Oklahoma State had a bye, and now they've ripped off three straight wins. Is there anything that you can kind of look at specifically that changed from that time to now, or is it just kind of things have come together a little bit? I think the thing that I point to and others have pointed to is the offensive line play and the offense as a whole, but especially the offensive line play. Those first you know, three or four games, um, they kind of started figuring things out against Iowa State. Uh, Ollie Gordon had a 100-yard game um, there in Ames, but uh, really figuring out, taking those two weeks off to really uh, move some things around, get the five guys they want there, and uh, kind of realize, hey, we're going to give the ball. We're going to give the ball to Ollie Gordon. We're going to let Alan Bowman be the quarterback moving forward, and just let them do the thing. And that's been super beneficial uh, the last three games, and um, both in the run game and also when you have success in the run game, that opens up things in the passing game, allowing. Alan Bowman to, to have success down the field in, in the passing game. So uh, the offensive line play and just them being able to pass block, being able to create uh, running lanes for Gordon and other running backs has been the biggest key, I think, uh, from those first three or four games to the last three. I mean, from afar, trying to figure out, like, kind of, this is just kind of a point, like, what was the deal with the three-quarterback thing? Were you guys wondering what the point of this was, or was there really, like, we honestly don't know who should be the starter. And then what did Alan Bowman do to kind of solidify his spot as the starter moving forward when, after whatever game they finally decided, like, 
okay, let's just quit screwing around with this. So it's a question that I think 20 years from now, Mike Gundy writes his uh, memoir. He might finally answer that question of why the heck they did this for three weeks. And to the point where it lost them the game and really lost them two, lost them two games, even though Alan Bowman was the full-time starter uh, against Iowa State. But just the, the reputation, the, the rotation and missing out on those, reputa- on, on those reps and uh, building that chemistry really hurt uh, Oklahoma State um, against South Alabama and then Iowa State because against Iowa State, Bowman played the full game, but it definitely looked like it was the first time he had played a full game uh, in, you know, two or three years. And so – uh, I don't really know why he, became, you know, they, they worked the three quarterback system and um, in those first three games, obviously three non-conference games. So in the big 12 race, it didn't affect them. Um, so it was still a bizarre thing to do knowing, you know, when I got here in May, I knew that Al Mimma was the guy he was supposed to, you know, he's a veteran. He's a you know, 24 year old guy that's, you know, played at Texas tech has you know, rode, rode the bench at Michigan, but being around, you know, national uh, contender teams and then coming to, Oklahoma State, uh, he was expected to be the guy, and for him to not even start the first game, you know, you had Garrett Rangel start the first game against Arkansas, and then kind of go through, you know, the, the the rotations that they did. It was a bizarre thing to see, and I don't know if it, you know, I don't know if Gundy will ever say it held them back from where they could be, but I think it definitely uh, held them back and definitely kind of handicapped them for those two losses. Um, and since then, since he's been given full reins, you can definitely tell. The chemistry's gotten better from his receivers and running backs and offensive linemen, and I think overall the offense looks better having one guy uh, back in quarterback. What is, like, you know, once he solidified the job, what are things that he's done well to contribute to the, the three-game win streak? And then where, where maybe are some areas that you're still maybe looking for him to improve on? Well, like I said, that chemistry, uh, you know, there, there's one play, a couple of plays in particular uh, against Kansas State, against Kansas, where uh, the first two games of the season, he would throw the ball and, you know, he's either throwing it early or the receiver's turning too early. Against Kansas State and Kansas, they, the receivers were right there where the ball was and got a huge, you know, 15, 20 yard pass on the field. And uh, that, that chemistry is just something that has to be built in practice and built in games um, by repetitions and, and, you know, because he's a guy that came uh, in January, he's not been here for years, and so that's been the biggest uh, pro from, ha- have, from having him go the full game. And then some of that that's kind of hurt, hasn't hurt him. Um, he's not doing a bad job, but there's been drops, uh, you know, deep balls and um, a couple of drops here and there from from veteran guys and from younger guys uh, in the receiving core. But overall, I mean, I just think his, his passing ability and uh, knowing, reading, reading defenses, knowing when the pocket's collapsing, being being able to throw it away and not take a sack, uh, something that he had that other guys might not have had um, when when they're younger in the system. So, so overall, I mean, there's he's had some interceptions against uh, Iowa State, and he had one this weekend against West Virginia. But overall, I mean, he's looked way more comfortable in these last three games than he did the first four. Ollie Gordon, obviously, last week was incredible. I mean, almost 300 yards on his own, four touchdowns, nearly 150 yards just in the fourth quarter. I was looking at, you know, overall stats for this podcast, and I was expecting the Oklahoma State running game to be more than middle of the pack in the Big 12. Has the maybe, I guess you kind of mentioned earlier, like the solidifying of the offensive line, maybe that was an issue prior and has that kind of come together to assist in his huge at least last couple weeks of of play absolutely i mean offensive line play has improved a lot and allowed him 
to have success running the ball, but also the same way they were doing rotating quarterbacks, they were rotating running backs. You know, Elijah Collins, a Michigan State transfer, Jaden Nixon, a guy who's been around for a couple of years, and Ollie Gordon were all rotating reps. I mean, I think the first three games combined, uh, Gordon had 19 total carries. Uh, and then this past week, he had 20, he had 29 carries in one game against West Virginia. So, uh, you know, I, I asked Mike Gundy on Monday, you know, why did it take three weeks to, to hone in on Gordon and make him the guy? And, and, and he kind of worked around the answer and, uh, you know, basically said they wanted to see what they had in Gordon, see what they had in the other running backs before they fully went all, fully went all in on one guy. Uh, but since they've done that, I mean, in conference play, I think he's leading the conference in, uh, rushing yards, yards per carry, all those great stats in conference play. And uh, will those first three games tender uh, kind of na more national, you know, Doak Walker, maybe Heisman, maybe, you know, Walter Camp awards that, that he could have gotten if he was having 100-yard games for seven games versus just the past four games. Uh, what, the, what does that look like? But um, we'll never know. But, yeah, I mean, just the, the progression that he's been going on and, like I said, you know, the past two or three weeks, they've really relied on him. And he's definitely – I think he's gotten better – as the game's gone on, like you said, in West Virginia, I mean, almost 153 of those touchdowns came in that fourth quarter against uh, West Virginia. So he's a guy that gets stronger as the game goes on, and it's been fun to watch. So this week we kind of have, you know, best on best with UC's defensive line and, and rush defense. They've you know barely given up 100 yards a game rushing versus Ollie Gordon and what Oklahoma State has been able to do in this three-game win streak. UC then has also, get, you know, in the past game, given up a lot of big plays over the top. Do you think we're going to see best on best, or do you think Gundy will throw the ball more, knowing that that's where UC is most vulnerable? Yeah, he definitely knows about the defensive line. I think that was one of the first things he said in his Monday press conference, that this is going to be the best defensive line they've seen all season. Um, and so he's aware of that they're talented up there, they're experienced up there, and the success they've had this season. So what makes Ollie Gordon uh, even better is he is so versatile. So even if they can't, you know, hand it the middle 20 times a game, they're able to hit him at a wheel route, hit him, you know, in the slot uh, and get the ball to him. But they also have receivers that can do the job, and he's got a senior quarterback that can hit them. And so I think they'll still try to run. The, I think the offense still works best when Ollie Gordon is involved in the run game. But I don't think they're scared to let Bowman fling the ball around, uh, especially if they're having success, you know, against the secondary and, uh, you know, having success with the receivers, uh, most of which are, are veteran guys. Yeah, I wouldn't be scared to throw, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, like I kind of said, UC's been pretty much unable, regardless of opponent, to stop the big play over the top in the passing game. Who are the Oklahoma State targets that are most likely – to be on the receiving end of kind of your shot plays if those are able to connect? One of them is Brennan Presley. He, uh, a couple of weeks ago, was the Paul Hornug uh, most versatile player of the week. You know, he's, able, he's, a, he's a smaller guy, but he's very fast, very shifty and get into space. Uh, he's a veteran uh, senior guy as well, and um, he's got speed to get down the field. And then Rashad Owens is another guy. He's probably, probably their go-to receiver. Um, he's a guy that played tight end some played wide receiver some now. He's a wide receiver, um, kind of a wide receiver one now that Deshaun Stribling went down a few weeks ago. But he stepped up in the big time. He's had a couple, you know, big plays, a couple big, uh, especially, you know, in the deep post routes and stuff. Um, but them too, and then Jaden Bray is the third guy uh, that, that posed a deep threat. He's got the speed to get down there to create separation. His problem is just catching the ball. He's had a couple of big drops 
uh, in different games this season, especially early on in the season. Um, and I don't know if they tested him as much as they did in those first couple uh, games of the season, but you know, all three of those guys are, are capable of providing you know depth and pro- providing attack in the passing game. Flipping it over to the defense, Oklahoma State's given up at least 30 in three of the four Big 12 games. Where is, you know, if UC is going to find success on offense, where is the place that they have the best chance to exploit? The secondary is the, is my go-to answer. I mean, the past three weeks, especially against Kansas and Kansas State, uh, two very run-heavy teams, Oklahoma State's goal was to just stop the run, and they did for the most part. And especially against Kansas, held them to under 100 yards rushing with that you know, powerful duo uh, running back. But they were able, against Kansas, they gave up five passes of 30-plus yards. All five went for touchdowns. Um, you know, they're, they're, they're working with some younger guys uh, in Cameron Epps, uh, DJ McKinney, some of these younger guys at corner and safety in the back and secondary. And uh, they're, they're good for the most part. But on that long ball, when, when the quarterback has time to move around and really, uh, you know, seven or eight seconds, um, they get burned a lot, uh, both against – that happened against Iowa State, happened against Kansas State – or against Kansas, and then happened this past weekend against uh, West Virginia. So that's where I would attack and, and make them stop you uh, in the secondary on, on the deep ball, you know, 30-plus yards. I mean, the past two weeks they've given up seven touchdowns uh, in, in that way, and that's where they are weakest for sure. Well, that kind of goes against what UC is good at because they ran the ball for almost 300 yards last week and have run it for over 200, you know, almost almost every game, I think, besides Oklahoma and Iowa State. But, you know, how has Oklahoma's run defense – you mentioned that they've kind of geared up specifically to stop the run. How has it been kind of just as a whole, and how have they done against, you know, true running quarterbacks because UC will – you know, run Emory Jones quite a bit, whether it's designed or he or him just taken off. They've done pretty well against it. Um, you know, they, they, have, they have a lot of veteran talent down there, both on the defensive line and on their linebackers that, you know, Colin Oliver, Nick Martin that come down uh, and help in the run game, help in the, uh, you know, get get to the quarterback if needed. And they have, you know, this, it's interesting. This, this conference is very run heavy with their quarterbacks, I feel like, especially what Oklahoma State's faced so far. And, uh, you know, they had uh, Jason Bean at Kansas, they had Will Howard against um, at Kansas State, uh, and this past week, and Garrett Green, he's pretty shifty as well, and they, they were able to hold them for the most part. You know, one or two, you know, big runs uh, that, that that escaped, but for the most part, they've they've held running teams in check, and so um, I don't I don't expect that to change this week. UC has been pretty dreadful on special teams, especially uh, kickoff coverage and punt coverage how are the cowboys in those departments please say not great they're fine um (laughs) until this weekend this weekend was a bizarre game in morgantown uh the defense forces a three and out west virginia punts the ball and they muffed the punt and west virginia takes over at the 30 and then later in the game West Virginia must have punt, and Oklahoma State gets to continue the drive uh, in, in the West Virginia territory. So that's the first little blunder that I can think of. Um, I mean, they've missed a few field goals. Uh, they had an extra point block, but then on the other side, they've blocked um, at least three field goals, in, or I think two field goals and an extra point at least that I can remember off the top of my head. So they, they get after it uh, on the pump block or on the uh, field goal block and extra point block. Um, but on the, I, I can't remember anything special about their kickoff or, or um, 
either receiving a kickoff or kicking it off themselves. Um, they, they they're pretty sound on that. On that. Well, I'm sure someone will make Big Twelve Special Teams Player of the Week. Uh, <laughs> the way the way things have been, have been going, so you know, even if you don't think they've done anything special, they're probably about to. <laughs> uh so it's obviously homecoming weekend, night game. I'm sure there's a good contingent of UC fans heading out there. What are some things? And I know you're fairly you're fairly new to the area too, is right? Mm-hmm. So, as a newbie, and as you know, we got some new people coming out. What are some things that fans should check out? How's the tailgating scene? Is there any spots right around campus to go to? You know, just give us give us your uh, your pointers on that on all that. Well, yeah, this is, this is my first homecoming uh, at Oklahoma State, which is they call themselves uh, the greatest America's greatest homecoming. Oh, wow, uh, that's, that's a so, bold claim. So Stillwater year-round averages between you know forty to sixty thousand people. Uh, this weekend they're expecting about one hundred twenty to one forty thousand people in Stillwater. So it's a big deal. Uh, I know Friday night uh, they have a, they're having the uh, homecoming hoops, which is basically a big pep rally for the men's and women's basketball teams. I know Cincinnati are big uh, basketball people uh, with West Miller and everybody coming down. But uh, that's that'll be Friday night in GIA, and then. The tailgating seems pretty good. I mean, I, I come from SEC country, so I don't know if it's as good down there. And I was in Ames a few weeks ago, and Ames kind of blew me away. Um, so it's kind of in the middle ground of being, you know, non-existent and being really good. And around the stadium especially, there's, there's a good um, presence from fans. So the the people are there, The, the I think they're very welcoming people, especially for, you know, new teams to the conference. They've been very vocal on – uh, you know, our, our message boards on our, I've seen them on social media and stuff being very, uh, you know, positive to the, to the, to the new schools. As long as you're not wearing a, you know, crimson and cream, uh, I, think, I think they'll be pretty friendly to the uh, Cincinnati fans. Speaking of the crimson and cream, the maybe last ever Bedlam game is next week. Will we get a look ahead Malays filled Oklahoma State team Saturday night. <laughs> I think if they hadn't lost to South Alabama, perhaps South Alabama came. You know, they're a group of five team. Came into Stillwater and dominated Oklahoma State. It was thirty-three-seven final, an embarrassing showing. You know, one of the worst losses in program history. I think they were getting caught because the next week they went to Iowa State. You know, a place where they've struggled. Um, and so I think they were kind of prepping for that, prepping for Big Twelve play, and kind of overlooking. Uh, the Jaguars from Mobile and, and got beat. Had that not happened, I think I think since then they've taken every opponent seriously, whether that's a ranked team, whether that's a road game, or whether that's a home team. Um, since the bye week, they've really logged in and taking every opponent seriously. They know that despite the record, despite the you know what they've shown, you know the five or six games before them, they can you know anybody can win any day. And Mike Gundy especially talks about parity. I think almost every press conference. Uh, this season, he's talking about how you know there's there's no, you know every game's gonna be close now because of the you know transfer portal because of NIL and all these uh, things that he talks about uh, every week. Um, but uh, so so I, I expect him to be prepared for Cincinnati uh, while still understanding that you know next week is a, I mean as soon as the game goes final it's it's you know bedlam week and so uh, they 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 understand that. Well. I think appreciate you uh, you jumping on with us and uh, you know the Bearcats have lost five in a row. Maybe they can get off the Schneid because this because the uh, Cowboys are are uh, 
looking ahead to the Sooners, but uh, hopefully it's a good weather day and a lot of fun for everybody out there. Tell everybody uh, where they can get you on the 247 network and then also any of the socials that you're active on. Yeah, so uh, check out my read, my reading, my read my writing. I'm a writer, not a talker. Um, on a gopokes247.com. And then I'm on Twitter at, uh, at McLean Baxley. No underscores, no numbers, nothing. Just at McLean Baxley. I'm on there uh, much too frequently. So, uh, so I'm on the, those, those are two places where you can find me. Awesome, man. Well, I appreciate I did, it. I did tag you, McLean, in the uh, the, the podcast links. So um, people can find you there as well. Excellent. And they can come at me with my uh, incorrect predictions from earlier in the season where I had Cincinnati maybe a little too high hey, uh, but, in their Big 12 uh, hey, debut. We, we still love you, man. You know, <laughs> we, 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 appreci- we appreciate uh, – the positivity that you showed to the cats earlier this se- early in the preseason. I regret nothing. I, Hey, we appreciate it. Th- thanks, man. Have a good one. And we will, um, we might catch up with you around basketball season too. Sounds good. Y'all. All right. Thanks. That was McLean Baxley from go pokes two, four, seven previewing the game this weekend against the Oklahoma state Cowboys. And that was also your team ticker, Big 12 look ahead. We are patiently awaiting the arrival of one Mr. Chad Brendel. He took in the Lady Bearcats volleyball 3-0 set victory over the Texas Tech Red Raiders on Taylor Swift night at, uh, at the shoe. So he said he would be uh, be here shortly. But uh, thank you to everyone that has jumped in so far. Darren, Jeffrey, and Coop. Appreciate that. Oh, we'll just do a, we'll do a Turtles Brew timestamp. Aaron, do you have the Turtles Brew timestamp read? Because I sure don't. I, I don't, but I do have what we have as the ticker, and that is try Turtles Brew. You can get them at a ton of different places around the tri-state area. Uh, originally initiated in Akron, I believe. Um, but the only zero sugar, zero carb, gluten-free, bourbon-infused tea. Many flavors Dave has tried, including what? Strawberry mint, I think, is one. I've not had the strawberry mint. I think that was like a, a new one coming out. I liked the lemon, you know, just the the lemonade, the lemonade tea one. Arnold I think Palmer. Was, yeah. Was the, my the, favorite. The Arnold Palmer, if you will. Um, yep. Well, the John Daly, because it has alcohol in it sure there you go <laughs> um I, I think you have to smoke a pack of marlboro reds while while ingesting a john daly um but, but uh it also every purchase does help save the sea turtles you can visit www.turtlesbrew.com for more information and locations it comes in a, a half gallon jug so you're not purchasing like a the little individual sized bottles for your consuming pleasure you have to go big or go home it's good stuff. And as the weather gets cooler, it'd be a, a wonderful tailgate cocktail to, to add a little maybe extra of your favorite uh, bourbon in there. Uh, get you all nice and warm and toasty. It looks like after this rain comes through uh, this weekend, it's going to get real cold real quick. Yeah. So 75 today and like high of 40 something on Halloween. 
Yeah, a week from today, I think the high is 45, at least here in, in yeah. Athens. Sounds, um, sounds wonderful. So a 30-degree drop, no big deal. Hopefully it's nice and chilly sure for, get, those, for those boys from Orlando next Saturday. Get those spigots uh, winterized <laughs> real yeah, quick take, before you're... Take those hoses before, off. Before the lows are down in the 20s at night. Yeah. But uh, what do you want to talk about before Chad j- gets on here? I don't know. Let me switch the uh, imaging here real quick. Uh, out of the Turtles Brew, we are back, presented by the Holy Grail. Um, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm, I'm sure that once Chad gets here, as he should be here roughly in the next five minutes or so. I know you talked about it with Jeff on Sunday. I've talked about it with, you know, uh, all the boys of the BBP on Monday. I talked about it on Saturday night. But after having digested a couple days, are you feeling any differently about the Baylor game? <laughs> uh, not really. I mean, they obviously did some good things, but like we talked about Sunday morning, like they're just not good enough regardless of who they're playing. They're either not good enough and, and also not playing well enough, not playing complete enough to withstand some of these just crushing miscues, mistakes, errors, bounce of the ball, like whatever you want to call it. Like they are just, you know, they're having some of the most, you know, wild things happen to them. You know, you fumble the kickoff and it literally just never even hits the ground. Just goes right into the guy's hands as he's, you know, and then he just kind of like jumps over one of his own guys, I think, and and strolls into the end zone. I mean, you're you're just these are the type of things, whether it's that, whether it's poor eye discipline on a trick play where you have two guys just essentially as wide open as you can get. Um, you have a play where Corey Kiner Maybe he gets a first down. Maybe he doesn't, and it sets up a fourth and very short. But as he's going down, he fumbles the ball backwards, and you recover it, but now it's fourth and four, and you have to punt. Like, or on fourth down when you fumble it on the handoff. Right. You've, you've, you know, I understand what Scott is saying, but I also would have just given the ball to Corey Kiner and allowed him to try to pick up that yard. Um, but still, like, if you make that call – you were making that call because you have confidence that it's going to be executed. Correct. And if, and if it was executed, it was likely at least a first down, and, and he says a touchdown. I don't know. I haven't watched any replays or anything to verify if Peyton Singletary was wide open and if he would have had it, you know, but whatever. But, like, that's five plays right there that we just mentioned that are not your common, like, you know, while well, we threw an interception or, I mean, like they're very out of the ordinary things that happened. Like you don't see at some point you have to create, at some point you have to create your own luck. Right. I, sure, I think that that's the difference between, between a Luke fickle run team and, and what we've seen thus far this year. And of course that's not me trying to knock Satterfield that uh, he had a lot in putting together an entire team, the well, continuity yeah, that I mean, Luke Fickle had year over year over year is not the same. Well, just compare it, to, compare it to the first season. 
of Luke Fickle. And he did create his own luck a couple different times there, obviously, <laughs> as they, they, Chad is the first to tell you they should have only won one game that season. Yeah. I mean, so yes, you have, you, you do like you, if teams like you can't have just three interceptions, seven games into the season, like, you know, if teams, gonna, if teams are going to throw the ball that much, you need to be able to have more than that. And maybe they all don't end up turning themselves into touchdowns or, or whatnot, but they change the momentum of a game where they, or they stall the momentum of the other team. If you like, flip the you, field. you know, you, yes, you have to be able to, you know, not, I can't believe we're still talking about it, but like not fumble a kickoff that's returned for a touchdown. You have to not basically screw up the mesh point on uh, a very simple play that they run all the time, whether it's that play or not, they are running that type of read option play all the time. And it just so happens in that circumstance that they screw it up. Like, you know, at some, right. Like you said, at some point you have to make your own luck at some point. The players, you know, if you just take that play, for instance, and you take Coach Satterfield at his word, like, the play was drawn up and apparently there for a touchdown. There's not anything else him or any of the other coaches can do at that point. Mm-mm. Like, it's some, you know, the coach's job is to put the players in the best position to succeed, to make plays, to win. I think... They put the team in the best place to succeed on that play, and then the team didn't execute it. Well, Satterfield's not been shy about using that word over and over and over again, week after week after week, with execution is, is one of his buzzwords at this point, right? Well, um, like, it has to be. A, a fifth year guy returning a kickoff fumbles the ball. Like, Drops first off doesn't fair catch it. Second off drops it. Third off picks it up, runs and gets fumbles and like Kerry Combs has nothing to do with that. <laughs> like what like what what do you want Kerry Combs to do what, there? Well, what I will argue is that if he was supposed to fair catch it, he should not have been out there for any more kick returns. Maybe they have no confidence in anybody else. Well, if you're not out there doing what's instructed of you and you're supposed to fair catch it and you don't fair catch it, and then you end up with this horrendous play, and it's not the first time that you've surrendered the ball on a special team no. play. It's now the second time this season, and they've both turned up to be catastrophic turning points of the game. You can't you can't be left in there to your own devices. I mean, you can if you have nobody else that you think is, is any better. You're, well, like we talked about you. You can't just, that that you can't, can't be true. That can't be true. It simply it is. Like you can't bench a guy just because he screwed up if the guy you're going to put in is worse. Uh, well, DJ um, Taylor, he was one of the Pac-12 leaders in return yardage last year, last season. Two years ago, but okay. Regardless, regardless, you get he, my point. He basically got benched in Arizona State last year. He's on the roster. Okay. It can't be worse than giving the ball away. Actually, it can. That's the thing. Like, it can be worse. How is it worse than giving the ball away? 
you could do that guy could do it just that guy maybe he maybe they tried him in practice and he he dropped it four times this week uh. <laughs> like we don't like i don't know i'm just there's a reason they're starters and reserves like they've proven that they are better than the other guys so you know that's that's just how it like yeah this guy maybe Right. Maybe. Maybe we see a change. Like maybe Ryan Montgomery, if he's healthy, is back there on kickoff and punt. And, and you know, I've been critical of I don't really understand the, the Xavier Henderson thing on kickoff. Like he I doesn't agree. he doesn't really have to me. He doesn't really have like the body type and running style that you look First, for in a kick yeah. in a kickoff returner. Um, like a long strider, he kind of, it seems like he kind of like almost comes to a complete stop as he gets to kind of the first scrum of people. And he did have the one decent one when he kind of spun out of a tackle and was able to break it outside. But I mean, he seems like a guy that with his, with his speed and long stride, like if there's a hole there and he hits it, then great. But like, he, he's not really like making moves and making guys miss and, and, kind of redirecting his his field and coming out the other side type of thing. So, I don't know. It's, uh, every, you know, when you lose five in a row, everything is open uh, to conversation. I think that's pretty obvious. Uh, Randy asks, what happens if the Bearcats finish the season with only two wins? Um, I don't really know. Like, nothing not, – like there's not not any changes are going to be made, like unless Scott Satterfield wants to or or can uh, convince them that some staff changes need to be made. I don't know. Those are usually two year contracts. Uh, you're likely not going to pay an assistant not to coach at your school if you don't have. You absolutely don't have to. I mean, like <laughs> Scott Satterfield certainly is is going nowhere. His his contract is pretty much fully guaranteed through the 2025 season. So, you know, any, you know, say it was an epic disaster this year and an epic disaster next year. If they wanted to make a move after next season, they would still owe him a hundred percent of what is remaining on his salary. That doesn't change until I believe after the 2025 season. Uh, so like, Nothing really is going to, I mean, nothing from that standpoint is going to change. So I'm not sure, like, when when you ask what happens, I, I mean, other than probably a lot of dudes transfer out and they have another big transfer class, but I think that's going to happen regardless of how the last five games play out. Like, you know, I don't know if it was on the board or if it was – on Monday night or whatever, but like, I think Chad mentioned it, you know, if you were recruited by the old staff and you didn't really see the field this year, I think that's probably a pretty good sign that you might want to check out your other options. Because if, if you've already got 23 high school kids coming in and you know you're not going to make huge improvements based off of this this current freshman class and next year's freshman class, then your huge improvements are going to come from returning guys who played a lot this year and more transfers. 
if that's going to happen. So like, you know, if you're in the 21 class or older, even in the 22 class, really, and like you're not sniffing the two deep, probably Outlook probably doesn't look great to be a Bearcat moving forward. And that's that's just kind of the reality of the situation. And and as a new coaching staff, I'm, you know, we we want to win, and they need to be allowed, and they will be allowed to formulate the roster in whatever way they feels necessary to win football games. So that's just how it works, man. Like it sucks, but it's how it works. And I highlighted it on Sunday morning, like. 18 of the 21 and 22 recruiting class, 18 guys are not even on the roster now. And several of those weren't on the roster before Fickle even decided to leave. So it wasn't like a 100% mass exodus from those two classes when he decided to take the Wisconsin job. And so you're just, you have very few guys in those two classes that are starting or and or contributing and like, they're especially next year. Those are supposed to be the guys that are making up the majority of your starting lineup and your top tier, you know, depth pieces. And I think that's kind of why they're not hesitant to have so many kids in this newest recruiting class. As you're currently looking at 24 commits, uh, I believe is the number with the two flips, the yesterday, two days ago, whatever it was. Um, Monday. Yeah. Um, well, I guess I take yeah. it back. They, they did add Barber, so now we stand at 23. I yeah. felt, felt like anyway. Yeah, I mean, they, you know, I don't think there's been a point where I've looked down watching the game and been like, you know, these guys are totally overmatched, but they're still trying to build a much bigger team. The American was a, was a very uh, horizontal league. You know, you had a bunch of small receivers and even if they were taller, they were skinny. Like I think in this league you have, you know, a bunch of bigger and just bigger receivers, bigger running backs, bigger DBs, you know, your 230-pound linebacker is still fast, whereas, like, in the American, there was a lot of – I mean, even UC. I mean, you had a lot of – you know, I'm guessing if they were being legit about it once the season was rolling, I bet you had some linebackers playing under 200. You know, when – and you're, yep. you know, you're not, your guys are 210, 215, you're sick, you know, your safeties are 205, 210, you're – you know, UC had probably the biggest set of corners that anybody ever had in the American when they had Sauce and Kobe and Arquan. Um, but I, mean, I think that's why you're seeing Zach Clark and Aiden Pastoria, or, you know, however you pronounce his last name, like 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, you know. Pastoriza, yeah. Len- Lendrick Barber. I've seen him listed anywhere from six two and a half to six four, and and always around three hundred pounds. Like they just need as many big people as they. Gavin can Grover, Gavin Grover at six six. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you just. I mean, 
even the other offensive line commits that they have, you know, Jake Wheelock gets a lot, has gotten a lot of good, um, you know, publicity from other coaches and other recruiting folks. And then Jace Mitchell is, I know is still being recruited by Auburn. I think he plays tackle in high school, but he's probably more of a guard. Cause I think he's only, only six, three. Um, but yeah, I mean, I wouldn't, if you're, if you're a big kid and you've had a good, a good senior season, like I know Chad mentioned it Monday night, like they are in talking to those guys at higher ground, like tape truly does matter. Like, I think there are some players that fans would love to have that I have a feeling have not really had great uh, senior seasons, or at least in their eyes, have not produced great senior tape. And I think they're looking for, they're looking for guys that, you know, are not near their potential. Like, you know, you look at, Clark and the and the other linemen like they they need to clearly put on a bunch of weight but they have the other traits the height the long arms the movement ability to run a, a zone blocking scheme that uh, that they're looking for so you're looking for like how much more growth does this guy have is he or is he pretty much already tapped out and he gets a high rating and a bunch of offers because. He is really good right now, but like this is kind of it. Like we we, we see a, a hard time with him maybe uh, taking one, two, three more steps in his progression. Uh, Jeffrey asks, "How many transfers do we think they'll get, or is it way too early?" Uh, I mean, it's probably too early to give like a true answer, but. I'll just say if they have twenty, I'm not going to be surprised in the least. I'd agree with that. We'll be like shocked a, if it's less than fifteen. Yeah, shocked. Because I mean, if it's like, less than fifteen. Like we, like I just said, like you're gonna have guys that were recruited by Luke that are going to leave. Then you're going to have guys that we see all the time that even if they were maybe a contributor, maybe even a starter, they want to go play their senior and they had a good season. Hey, NLI money comes and they want to go play their senior year at somewhere that can potentially win a conference championship or go to the new 12 team playoff or potentially go to the national championship. Like there could be guys in, in that boat that we're not like, it's not, it doesn't necessarily have to be dudes that haven't played like in this era. Like we all know well and good that teams came after Dante Corleone. Like, so it could be a, a mix of guys, and then you know you're 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 probably going to have guys that are medically disqualified. That seems to happen all the time, or you know. So yeah, if there's twenty, not going to surprise me in the least. Hello, Chad. Hi, guys. How was uh, Taylor Swift night? Uh, I, I look, man. All you have to do is slap Taylor Swift's name on something, and like I'd say, I don't know, sixty percent of the lower bowl was full, and thirteen-year-old girls come out of the woodwork. Yeah, yeah, Girl Scouts, volleyball teams, like you name it, they were at Fifth Third Arena tonight, uh, dancing to Taylor Swift songs in between the action. <laughs> well, they saw they saw a nice Bearcats win. Yeah, the first set was a little back and forth, and then the second and third sets were just total ass kicking. 
by uh, Molly Alvey and her squad. So uh, thanks to the the, the team. Uh, they invited Kelsey. She got to do the little pregame tunnel and got to do the national anthem uh, where they like stand out on the baseline and uh, her and her friend and her friend's little sister had a blast. It was awesome. Nice. And I've now been informed we are going back to all of the home games for the rest of the season. Oh, congratulations on that. <laughs> but honestly, Dave, I, I, like volleyball is a fun sport to watch. I'm sure it is. Especially at that level. Where, oh, yeah. Like, you know, they're, they're, it, it, not that I don't like watching eighth grade volleyball, uh, but it's a completely different game <laughs> at the college level. Yeah. These girls can like actually jump like legitimately off the ground. Like legitimately their armpits are, are at the net like, right. when they go up the spike. Like, and they actually can block. Like you don't, you just don't get any of that at the level no. I've uh, been watching. But it, it's, I, it's a fun sport. Like you know, it. it she could have. I'll put it this way: she could have done a lot worse in terms of uh, sports that Dad has to watch. Volleyball is pretty entertaining, so it was a good time. Yeah, and Great. and it uh, can it can go fairly quickly. Luckily, that was a three setter with a. Uh, with set two and three being uh, expeditious yes. or else I was looking at it going, look, if this is like a four or five setter, I don't think I'm going to do the podcast tonight. Like, I, I don't think. Oh, I'm wait, get back. what happened to what you told me the other day of we're just going to leave after the third set? Yeah, well, Dave, unfortunately, I'm not I'm kind of not the boss uh, in this <laughs> household anymore. Uh, I mean, we would have come up with something if it was going to go five uh, without question. <laughs> but fortunately, like they they wrapped it up expeditiously, and we were in the car by seven forty five, and then had to uh, to drop Kelsey's friend and her sister off, and got home uh, as quickly as possible. And then my computer didn't want to start, so that was great. Well, that's all right. I had you on in the car. Lovely. I I subjected uh, teenage girls. To uh, the BCJ podcast, which uh, <laughs> my apologies. Yeah, they you know they just were on their phones. They didn't. Oh, I'm sure they pay no attention to what Dad's doing anyway. Right. But um, so good Oklahoma State content. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll uh, we'll get to the Simone family tailgate now. What's we have tail? a lot of? We're not. It's a road game. Not, that's right. It's a road game. So we won't, <laughs> we're not even doing that. I, I'm look. This is the, the worst part about like these nights is all of a sudden you're just jumping in like kind of frazzled. But so we won't. We won't do that. I, I will be at the Holy Grail Saturday night. Well, I was wondering, so, like, uh, should I show up to try to like break this this momentum? And I mean, maybe. Maybe yeah, I, it might be time. I, I can't really make it any worse, right? No. If they lose, like, okay. Not, not my fault. They've already right. lost five in a row. Can't, can't, right. can't pin this one on me. There's no bad juju associated with you showing up and them winning or losing. Yeah. So, I mean, I was also uh, informed that it'll be a heck of a night for sightseeing as it is essentially the uh, Halloween street party oh. at the banks. Uh, so it might be a pretty good night to be downtown. Can I dress up? If you would like. What should what should I go as? I don't know. I mean, I think I know what I'm doing. 
What are you doing? Oh, we're gonna put on a big wig. Oh, are you going as like uh, Disco Inferno? No. Bob Ross. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Bob Ross. Are, are you gonna bring like a, a paint setup and everything? Or so I had one, and I went to a Halloween party Saturday night, and I left it there. So I don't know how much effort I'll put into it, but uh, I might bring the wig. I mean, I wore the wig on Monday night. I wore it last night for a little bit on uh, on the nightcap. I, I think it looks kind of good on me. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Looks good on you. You got a free, <laughs> free bowl of soup with that? <laughs> What's up, Lambeg? Uh, but no, I, pro I probably won't dress up, but, you know, it's not really no, my thing. I'm not going to dress up. It's not, not really my thing. Me either. Um, I just was invited to a Halloween party, so I had to do something, and I came up with Bob Ross because I figured that would be the lowest maintenance uh, Halloween like jeans. One year, one year in yeah, one year in college, I went as holy shit. There was a there was a costume where you looked like uh, a poop, and it had a cross and like a halo over your head. <laughs> so, I did that one year. I went as a UPS driver one year. One of the guys at the party was a bottle of Fireball. Mm, I do like that. <laughs> and he just had a pouch of Fireball that he was just handing out to people, like the little travel yeah. things of Fireball all night. Um, but yeah, so uh, come join me. It should be a good time. I'll, uh, I'll think about it. I'll think about it. I think George is going. Okay. And you and George throwing him back could be, that could be epic. <laughs> I might need someone to drive me home then. That's, right, the, only me too. that's the only problem. <laughs> I don't think your wife's going to come pick you up. Well, no, because who the hell? No, absolutely not. She'll be and long asleep by then. That's a heck of an, uh, an Uber ride to your house. Yeah, and then I got to go back to get my car the next day. So, yeah. You know, On a Halloween block party. So the fares are going to be outrageous. Yeah. Yeah. I could. Oh no! Well, I I have an idea, but okay, this might work. This might work. All right, figure. But anyway, Oklahoma State. How how are we feeling? Not, not good. Not good, Bob. Not great, Bob. Not great. I mean, I look. We're in the show me point, right? Like, yeah. Do I think they're capable of keeping it close? Yeah, I do. I mean, do I think it could be a blowout? Yeah, it could be that too. Um, you know, if you give me three options, Oklahoma State big, or four options, Oklahoma State close, Cincinnati close, Cincinnati big, they would go in that order. Oklahoma oh, yeah. State big, Oklahoma State close, Cincinnati close, Cincinnati big. Yeah. And um, it's, just, uh, it's just frustrating. I, I have been thinking about something, Dave. Okay. And you can help me with this exercise because I don't have, I mean, maybe I can find it after we start talking because it was something I've been kind of thinking about today. Um, everybody asks, I've heard a lot of people say like, how could, how could it go from the cotton bowl season to this in two years? I mean, like, I have a pretty good idea. <laughs> what would your pretty good idea be? Like, how many starters from the Cotton Bowl are still on this team? 
Forget starters. Players? <laughs> How many people that played in the Cotton Bowl are on this team? Uh, I mean... I think there were two starters. If I had to guess, I would say less than 15. Oh, way less than 15. Uh, the two starters that I've come up with, Jawan Briggs and uh, Mason Fletcher. Yep. Malik Van, Ryan Montgomery. Malik Van was out. Didn't play. Right, I mean, like, he was on the team, though. I'm talking about played. How many people oh. played on the Cotton Bowl team? Ryan Montgomery. Uh, Ethan Wright. Ethan Wright. Uh, Brian Threats played special teams. Taj Ward. Deshaun Pace. Did I say Ryan Montgomery? I did, yep. Okay. Uh, Bryce Burton. How about Bryce Burton? Shout out Bryce. Uh, John Williams. I forgot John Williams. Yep. That was one I forgot. Uh, and Cason Pfeiffer, the long snapper. So your core special teamers. Yeah. But And, and like 10 other guys. Was it 10? Was that the I don't number? know. I wasn't counting, but I'm I'm ballparking it. But this kind okay. of this kind of amplifies the point I made Monday or Sunday morning, and you made uh Monday night is like the classes that were recruited leading into that game have not really produced anything. And those no. are supposed to be the classes that you have, if not the bulk of your starters, like they're still younger guys. So maybe not the bulk of your starters, but like the bulk of your two deep, the bulk of your contributors, the bulk of like, this guy's close. He's, you know, he's just waiting for that opportunity. And now he gets the opportunity because the guys in front of him aren't there anymore. And now he's going to flourish. And we don't have that right now. So it's, it's, it's not like a hard exercise to figure out how you can do that. Here's, here's the other thing. Go down the list of uh, starters in that game. Ahmad Gardner, NFL, Kobe Bryant, NFL. Juwan Briggs is going to play in the NFL. My J. Sanders played in the NFL. Curtis Brooks in the NFL. Darian Beavers in the NFL. Uh, Desmond Ritter in the NFL. Jerome Ford in the NFL. Brian Cook in the NFL. Leonard Taylor in the NFL. Josh Wiley in the NFL. Alec Pierce in the NFL. Tyler Scott, NFL. Trey Tucker. Trey Tucker, NFL. Are, 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 you, are you sensing something? Dave, Dave, Dave Simone, draft guru. How many yeah. players from this this team will play in the NFL? Oh, let's see. Briggs Corleone. Briggs Corleone. Uh, it's too early to say Jack Dingle. Mm. As of now, I would probably not say anybody that I've seen on offense. Maybe Gavin Gerhardt gets a... Maybe Xavier Henderson maybe finds a spot. Yeah. I think that's possible. Yeah. But... Shaman? Uh, yeah. Shaman possibly. Could, yeah. yeah. He's trending in that. I would definitely say he's trending in that direction with what yeah. we've seen the past couple weeks. No doubt. 
but and that's the thing about that's the thing about being in the AAC and doing what they did is like even all the other teams that had super successful runs in the AAC, whether it's UCF or runs in as a G5 program, whether it was UCF, whether it was Houston when they did their little thing when they beat Oklahoma and then beat Florida State in the Peach Bowl, whether it was Boise State even back in the day. How many guys were they putting in the NFL? Like, I'm sorry, what, what was that? I mean, like, how many guys were those teams putting in the NFL? Well, I think that UCF team only put, like, the, the dominant UCF teams only put, like, four or five guys in the NFL. Yeah, I mean, the year that UC had the nine guys drafted, I think Georgia, Alabama, and maybe one other team were the only teams that had more people drafted. I think it was Michigan, and they were they weren't good, like, they weren't, no, they were good. It was somebody that wasn't, maybe Oklahoma or somebody my, that had a down My year. point being is even yes. when these teams have been great in the G5, they've never had the accumulation of NFL talent. And when right. you have the that level of accumulation of NFL talent leave in a two-year span, nobody, you know, no one had ever even done that, let alone done it and then replenished it with an equal amount of talent. So, like, just odds and the laws of averages, given where they were at that time, should have told you that this was a historic group. And regardless of how good we felt about fickle or recruiting or whatever, that it was highly, highly unlikely that they were going to be able to replicate that level of talent and development because not, I mean, all those guys did not come in as stars for sure. So they developed them, but like, what were the honest to God, real chances that they were just going to do that again with two more classes right after they did it, even with all the momentum, even with like, what are the real chances that that would have happened? Essentially, David, they hit the lottery. Well, yeah, because I mean, you found, you found great players who you could also develop. Now, you might have had some great players coming in, but maybe you didn't develop them as well because they didn't want it, want it as bad, air quotations, whatever that, or had injuries or had didn't love or, college, didn't love ball, any of the reasons that guys don't pan out. Here's another real reason, Dave. A lot of those guys had their development stunted because the roster was set for three years. Yeah. You know why? You know why a bunch of those guys, like, let's go back, let's do the, the rewind trick. Mark D'Antonio. You know why a lot of Mark D'Antonio's guys turned into stars for Brian Kelly? Because they played one of the freshmen. youngest teams in the nation, Mark D'Antonio's second year. His first year, they were all veteran guys that he took over for Menor, Gino, and that crew. Year two, reset, complete reset. And they started, I think they were the third youngest. Kerry mentioned that Kerry wrote something about this on the board the other day. They were the third youngest defense in the nation uh, in, in that second year. And all those guys got to play. You you wonder why Haruki and D'Lo and Mickens. Mickens, and, yeah. You know, you go down the damn list. Like, those guys got to play right away, and they developed the hard way. Well, what happened in 1920 and 21, Dave? It was almost the same team all three years. Right. And – 
the guys behind them didn't get trial by fire. They got scout team by fire. They went from you know, scout team to starters. Yeah. What what did we talk about in 21? When we went into to higher ground. This is boring as shit. There's nothing to cover here. Yeah. We know not, every position. Not only did they go basically go scout team to starter, those two years UC had virtually no major injuries. Right. So it wasn't like, oh, this wide receiver got hurt. Now we can see what this guy can do. Or Sauce is out five weeks. We at least get to see what Sammy Anderson can do. Like great point. Guess what happened? Uh Wiggins out for a year. They plug and play. Javon Hicks led the American in interceptions because he got the chance to play. If Wiggins didn't blow out his knee for the second time, guess what? Hicks doesn't get that opportunity. And maybe he doesn't develop into an all-conference level player. So there are so many factors that played into this. And now essentially is paying the piper on that. Yeah, I mean, the, people don't the, want to hear that, but it's it's the goddamn truth. You 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 know, the bill has come due, so to speak, in the sense of you did something like tr- like, and I'll argue to the hill on this. Like they did something truly historic. Yes, like the fourteen playoff under no circumstances was ever ever set up for a team like you see like anybody else to make it no they they made it with you know all of these things coming together literally perfectly over a two-year period i mean we talked about when des was coming in to his own kind of as a starter in 20 in 20 how we had gone like 10 years in a row it felt like if not more with UC never having a quarterback make it through an entire season. And then he turns around and makes it through, you know, two seasons in a row, essentially. You know, all of these things came together when they absolutely should not have in a situation that had never happened before. And, you know, you just can't. You you couldn't possibly expect that to just carry over, at that at that high of a level. Like a G five program, as good as we think we are and as good as we were, it's just not set up to to do that. And the law of averages end up playing themselves out. That you know, how many times have we talked about? You see, the best player in a recruiting class when you look back on it has ended up being like one of the lowest rated players in the class. Like eventually that luck stops or that stops and you need your highest rated players to actually be your best players. And now they're kind of in a position where they had a tremendous amount of, you can call it misfortune, unluck, whatever, but like a tremendous amount of the highest rated players ended up, you know, not, producing not working out out. and now you also have you have that coupled with like a large exodus of just overall roster and other guys that have not 
you know, either transferred out prior to the uh, coaching change because they were already getting recruited over or then also transferred out because of the coaching change. Like, I mean, that's a very long-winded and long discussion way to saying, like, you know, did I think it was going to play out this way? No, I, you know, but right. it's not it's not a difficult exercise to kind of look at what happened and why it happened and then look at what has happened since and say, yeah, I mean, like I can kind of see how these are the results when you add one plus one plus one and that's that's when you get this. Well, let's do this exercise, Dave. Let's do top fives uh in the recruiting class and the last one that really hit 2020 evan prater sammy anderson jaden thompson jaheem thomas dra mcdonald I, I think you could say like evan it didn't work out at quarterback i think he's got a chance to be a really good wide receiver yeah especially next year he might he might be wide receiver one next year yeah, yeah. like honestly like he's had Far more success than I envisioned him in this transition, like immediately. Yeah. Uh, Sammy would have been cornerback number one. Yeah. Jaden Thompson was on his way to being really good here. I think he's got one catch at Louisville. That that one, I just, I'll never understand why he left. It didn't make any sense. Anyhow. And then Jaheim Thomas, who is outstanding right now at Arkansas. Yeah, and yeah, you have a coaching change, and that's going to happen. The bottom five of that class, (laughs) Peyton Singletary, who's solid. Sterling Miles, I had no clue where that that Uh, landed. Mm -hmm. Norman Love, his knee never recovered. Uh, Jake Renfro, really good. Injuries have kind of screwed him. And then Dominique Perry, who's a rotation guy at defensive tackle. So that one's, you know, they got that one right in terms of like the evaluation on the top of that class. Uh, 21 class. Brian Threats was the number one rated guy. He's been solid. Robert Jackson. Haven't done much. Jack Dingle's a starter. Luke Collinsworth was a Xavier fan, so he didn't like football. (laughs) (laughs) And then Shaman. Pretty good. Like, at at least, like, three of your top five in that class are starters right now. Yeah. You feel pretty good about that. Bottom of that class, uh, Brady Lichtenberg, Jonah Lytle, Jamal Williams, Malik Rainey, and Mason Fletcher. Yeah, so you you haven't gotten really outside of Mason anybody that's really been uh, right a serious contributor. Twenty two class top, Jake U Hardaway gone, Ethan Green hopefully somebody that is going to be a factor at tackle. Uh, JoJo Bermuda has gone. Derek Shepard has moved up into the two deep at uh, on the defensive line. Uh, Stephen Bird. We've heard some good things about as a redshirt freshman. And then uh, everybody's favorite quarterback, Luther Richardson. (laughs) Bottom of that class, Oliver Bridges. I still think there's potential there. Yep. Ken Willis has been good when he's been on the field. 
Sincere Lewis, I think, is going to be really good as long as his knee uh, heals properly. But I think I, I really like what I've seen from him before he got hurt. And then the bottom two guys in that class uh, are the two guys that are probably helping this team the most right now. Uh, Tyler Gillison and Jonathan Thompson. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, you're, but you're still not like, we just named what 20 guys, 30 guys, 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, 30. Yeah. 30. And we've got like maybe five starters out of that. Right. Yeah. It's, it's a problem. Like in some of it, you know, some of it is the coaching change. Some of it is, I, I do think that there was a definitive adjustment period, call it a drop-off, call it whatever you want, when Freeman and Chad Bowden left. I, I just, you look at what happened right before then and what happened right after then, you know, go back, like that 20 class was when they were, they were leaving. Like that class signed before those guys went yeah. to Notre Dame. And hit, 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 like that, that had some dudes. And then it took a little while for Pat and Max to get going. And then they left before they really, I thought the 23 class was them hitting their stride. Right. And, and they, they leave and that class falls apart. Right. I think, I just think like you're just, we just have not seen that core crop of middle three stars that have, that this program has been built on for for years, even, you know, Luke Fickle aside, has not, you know, yeah. come to the top. And I think that is magnified when you're playing in a, in a different league. Like I said Sunday morning, like, I think this is a pretty good AAC roster. But your yeah. deficiencies and your warts are amplified and exposed even more when you're playing even a you know, what some might call a, a bad big 12 roster in like Baylor. Well, if you, if you don't play, if you're a, if you're a good AAC roster and then you screw around and commit some, some boneheaded errors, then it, do, then it doesn't matter if they're a bad big 12 team. Cause you're not truly a, a good AAC team then. Cause you're a, you're a good roster, but you're not playing like a good team. Right. And I, I just think those, I think that gap like that's why I think UC has been able to outside of really the Oklahoma game and then the Iowa State game, like they've been able to be in these games. Right. But they don't have thing whether it's talent, whether it's coaching, whether it's both, I don't really care. It doesn't matter to me. They have not made the plays or been put in the position to overcome the gaps when they do, because you're not going to, no one's going to, I mean, very rarely are, are any teams going to play quote unquote perfect games. Like the other right. team is trying to win too. Like you're going to screw up or they're going to make a play or they're going to break a tackle or you're going to drop. Like we're, I'm not talking perfection, but like when you make some of the mistakes that they've made, you know, your, your areas of deficiency are, are shown even more glaring when you're already 
kind of battling an uphill battle just from an overall roster talent standpoint. Yeah, it's 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 just been kind of the perfect storm of many, many different things. Many, many different things. Roster construction, roster development, roster retention, turnover, coaching change. Like, it all just piled on at once. Well, like Aaron and I were, before you got on, when Aaron and I were talking about the the Baylor game and you lose by three and you have some of the the most odd and one-off type of errors that you can have. Like how often does how often have you seen a running back maybe get a first down or maybe have a fourth and in, in inches and he fumbles the ball and it goes backwards and you recover it, but then you can't really go for it. Or the the kickoff situation happened where Guys fumble kickoffs all the time. How often does it bounce directly into a guy's hands and never actually touch the ground? He's just able to walk into the end zone. Um, like these, th- these are these are anomalies in the game of football, and they're happening in the same game, let alone in the same season. So and you and you have to figure out ways to overcome that, and that's where we get into all the stuff that we just discussed. Maybe this team and this this coaching staff with this team and the way this roster is is currently put together, maybe they're just they're just not able to overcome it for a myriad of reasons. Yeah, it's been, and here's the thing that I think that like this is why this has been so difficult for people, Dave. Because I think if they were getting their ass kicked, people would understand these things more clearly. <laughs> yeah, if, if every game looked like Iowa State, you could just flatly say, we took a step up, we had a coaching change, we had a bunch of roster turnover, we hoped this, is, is, we hoped this wasn't what it was going to look like, but it was totally understandable. Right. But and, when, and you're, instead... when you're in games, or in games – and you're trading punches at times, and you're showing that you can run the ball for almost 300 yards, or you're showing that you can, you know, do different things, but then you're still losing. Um, that's when, you know, it's tougher to say, uh, I expected this because of the things I just mentioned, because someone could say, well, we're not getting killed. Like, so are we, are we this far off, or is all this stuff gonna even itself out next year? Right. You know, I don't know. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's frustrating. It's frustrating. I know that. That's for sure. Um. All right. Let's get to uh. Let's get to the the other news of the week. And I know you were upset yesterday. Do you want timestamp first? Yeah, we'll we'll timestamp. Are we are we done talking about Oklahoma State? I don't have any. Do you have any more to add about Oklahoma State? Uh, they're bad against the pass. 
we're bad passing. I know. So, <laughs> so I asked, I asked, I asked uh, McLean, I was like, you know, please tell me you're not good against the run. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, they've given them the most passing touchdowns in the league. They have the lowest passer rating allowed in the league. The second lowest yards per attempt allowed. And they're not good on kickoff or punt return. They're 13th and 14th in kickoff and punt return. Yeah. So maybe we won't, you know, put somebody on the Big 12 Special Teams Player of the Week list this week. Um, <laughs> you know, but Ollie Gordon's a dude. I'm sure they're still going to give him the ball a bunch. But, like, if you watched UC play, why? if you're Mike Gundy, like, why wouldn't you just let Alan Bowman chuck it? Right. Um, you know, I just think you have one team that is feeling very, very confident about the way they've played the last three weeks. And you have another team that obviously doesn't. Yeah. Lord, let's hope they're looking forward to Oklahoma. <laughs> they might be looking forward to Oklahoma and it might not matter. Might not matter. Yeah, you're right. You're right. <laughs> um, yeah. All right, let's go ahead and timestamp that. The timestamp is brought to you by our good friends at Turtles Brew. Zero sugar, zero carbs, gluten-free. It's a bourbon-infused sweet tea with uh, cherry lime, raspberry peach, orange vanilla, strawberry mint, and lemonade tea. There's over 50 locations in greater Cincinnati. All you got to do is visit turtlesbrew.com for information and where you can find it nearest to you. A portion of the proceeds go to Save the Sea Turtles. They are in Cincinnati, Toledo, and expanding now in Central Ohio. And Aaron, the company is based in Cincinnati. They just are also operating in other parts of the state. Okay. There it is. Yeah. Just helping you out. Um, scheduling. <laughs> you were very passionate about this yesterday. Um, I think honestly, what a lot of this comes down to is one, I don't think UC was ready to be foiled on this to where they had the complete, uh, but they were, and they knew it. Uh, no, I don't, I don't think, I think they were surprised. You can't be surprised that someone like someone, you have to ask someone for like a person has to provide that information to Somebody yeah. else. So how and, can you possibly that be surprised? Person, that's not an athletic department thing. That is a university thing. And I don't think that got back to the athletic department that that information had been for you. Well, then that's a bigger issue. Uh, no, it's well, you think communication problems in a university are, are a, a surprise? I mean, if someone, foy- if someone foyers you, you should probably let the, per- let, let the department know that like, hey... We also don't know if it came from UC or if it was FOIA at Nebraska. True. I, I know UC was caught off guard that that was that got out yesterday because I think they were still there were p- pieces and parts that were still contracts being finalized and like right. I don't even think Western Kentucky like I don't think that buyout had been finalized. I think they had informed. Yeah. Western Kentucky and Ohio that that they were buying out of those, but I don't think those contracts were like I don't think it was like 
right in the this is complete phase yeah sure so i think there were a lot of things that happened yesterday that created um a little bit of confusion uh if you saw there was an article that went up keegan and i uh had a chance to talk to john daniel who's the associate ad for football and he explained and and kind of let us know what why and how all of this was happening um you 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 don't have to like it. You don't have to agree with it. But what it came down to ultimately, and he was very open and honest about this, is... And, and just for the record, I'm in both of those camps. I know. <laughs> you are going into the Big 12. You are adjusting from eight-game schedules to nine-game schedules. You are adjusting from eight games in the American Conference to nine games in the Big 12 Conference, where there are no more weeks off. Things like road games at Western Kentucky and road games in Athens, Ohio are no longer uh, wise business decisions right. for Cincinnati. No, um, problem, no problem with that. In order to make those things go away, there is money involved. And then in order to schedule replacements, there is also a lot of money involved. And uh, very clearly, whether you agree with them or don't agree with them or whatever the case may be. They felt like moving the Nebraska game. And it also could be, and this would have to be something the Nebraska people would have to, uh, to confirm. Nebraska could have very easily said like, we're not, we're not coming to Nippert. If you want to continue, if you want to, because basically all of that stuff that happened in COVID, like those contracts are essentially voided. And they're, they're not, on technically on the books anymore. Cincinnati had this agreement in place. They wanted to rework it very clearly. Um, it would be interesting to know from Nebraska's side if they said, you know, we'll play you neutral in here, but if not, we're not going to play you. Uh, and then Cincinnati would have had to have gone out and find another power five to fit into that slot in 2025, which if you know a lot about football schedules, uh, I don't, the, people are, like the 2025 slots have been done since 2015, the way these people do these stupid contracts. Um, but I think they kind of saw a way to, to kill two birds with one stone. We can still buy out West Kentucky, Western Kentucky, still have seven home games in 2025 and do this neutral site game where we project that we're going to be able to make substantially more money than we would have made uh, playing a game at Nippert. That is going to allow us to balance the books with all of the other things that we now have to pay for. Uh, so it was very clearly a money situation. Like they did not, when they talked to us about it, they didn't try to like, well, we felt that and we, you know, that, no, like we needed that money from here to go to here as we're itemizing all of these changes that have to be made as we're going into the big 12, I commend them for one. They didn't have to give us that opportunity uh, on that short of notice to explain what was going on. They could have coach speaked us into Bolivian on that, but they were honest about it. They told us what was going on and you have the full story, whether you like it or don't like it, that's up to you. But at least we have the full story now on 
why this all happened. Yes. You still don't like it, and that's fine. I understand it. Just come, I mean, they basically came out and said, like, this is just numbers on a spreadsheet. I just didn't love the way that it was handled, whether it was thrown at them or not. And I just, it, you know, I get it, man. College sports now, it feels like everything is just about the money. And I'm, I'm under, like, I have accepted that. Like, college sports is not what we knew it to be five years ago. Certainly not what it, just as a, like, you and I sit here and we talk about this. I do not, quote unquote, cover the team like you do. I am a fan. Yeah. And from a fan's perspective, I don't like the way that this all came off. Um, I, you know, UC is in a power conference and they, they've now been able to make it work where they have seven home games. My, my question is, why not have eight? Because and they'll, they'll like say, they well, if we had eight, money. we wouldn't be able to make. Right. But I'm, but as a fan, I'm going, that's not my damn problem. My problem is we get six or seven home games a week, a year out of 52 damn weeks. We get six or seven weeks and you took one away when you did not have to. You chose to because money was more important and that's fine. But that is why I do not agree with it because you could have had eight. You could have told Nebraska, go fly a kite. You could have scheduled somebody else as an eighth home game. You wouldn't have made as much money as you would playing in any. But guess what? All your fans wouldn't have been fucking pissed off yesterday because at first they thought you were only going to have six home games. Like, we don't care. Like, Nebraska is fun and cool and whatever, and they haven't won shit, and I don't care about getting into the history of it. But, like, if you told me, David, we can play Nebraska in Indianapolis – and have seven home games, or David, we can literally play anyone else that plays Division One college football and have eight home games, I would say play eight home games. As a fan, that's what I want. That, that's fine. But that's not <laughs> – they, they, they still, they they still have, have – they, they still have a budget to balance. They right. still have – Issues that they have to handle. Sometimes it's not an amateur take, Jeff. Like I guarantee you, more people are on my side of this than are going. Yep. Hey, all that matters is them balancing their books. That's not how fans look at the sport. If that's how you look at the sport, then I I don't I don't know what to tell you. Like, well, but Dave, like here's where I disagree with that. Here's where I disagree with that. Why? Why did everybody want in the Big Twelve? Why did everybody want in the Big Twelve? Well, why did I want in the Big 12, or why did some people sure. want in the Big 12? Well, I wanted in the well, Big 12 well, to play, why play, was it play better. to get in the Big 12? To play better teams. No, money. Well, no, you ask, because, are you asking me or, or fans no, that I'm care asking, about Why how, was it critical to get in the Big 12 in the current college landscape? Uh, yeah, money. It, it, like, look, man. But, but Chad, I was, a, I was a fan of the team – when they were in Conference USA and the Great Midwest, and like I don't care, like I, I don't care. I want to watch my team play football games. 
And okay. this wasn't this is an opportunity that they had to play an eighth home game and they chose not to. And that's fine. They can run the damn athletic department however they deem worthy. Correct. And I they, hope they make all the money they think they're gonna make. Well, it's not a map, they're not gonna make any money. They're on, I mean the on, on the on the game in Indy. Yeah. They're using the money to balance the scheduling aspect, the, the budget line that is scheduling. It is, whether we like it or not, it is business. Yes. As soon as TV contracts started skyrocketing and conferences, people started jumping around and, and everything happened, it is business. It, it, it like, would it be great if fans mattered as much as they used to? Yeah, it would. But what matters now is money. Yeah. The, the schools have made that clear. The presidents have made that clear. The athletic directors have made that clear. And but this the, was nothing more than a budget balancing exercise. Right. And I, and there are, you and know, there might be, about it, and that's okay. There might be a lot of Nebraska people there. Like, I don't know if I'll be able to go. And I would have been able to go if the game was at Nipper. Okay. And I'm sure I'm not alone in that fact. So while the money is super important, you know, you're also then you're you're telling your fan base that you know yes it's important you guys are important but not in, not as important as us possibly making some more money. It's not making money, not losing money, Dave. That's no what making I'm money, but making money by moving the game to they're making more money versus if it was at Nipper. Yeah, so that they don't lose their ass because they have to move these other games around. Yeah, well, there's other stuff. I, I don't need to talk about, like, really want to talk about him. There's other stuff they could have done. They just chose not to. What could they have done? That, like, I'm interested because they, these people, thats it's what they're paid to do. Well, they didn't have to cancel the Western Kentucky series. Uh, Well, one, they had to cancel one of the games because they had too many games that year. No, they don't. They had three next year. In 2025, they had three non-conference games. 2026. Yeah, canceled canceled the OU game that they did. They didn't have to cancel the Western Kentucky series. Then they wouldn't have had to to pay money. Right, I'm just saying, like, they didn't have to. They felt like they did. They didn't have to. None – that could have been a standalone thing that had nothing. Well, to do it would have been that. a road game at Western Kentucky. So it's a road game at Western Kentucky. We're used to it, man. Like, would you rather play Western Kentucky at Western Kentucky or Nebraska in Indianapolis? They're they're not they're not in line with. They don't have to do one or the other. They could do both. How? Because they're not even in the same. Well, then they would have. Well, then, they, okay, then they moved Nebraska to Indianapolis, and now you only have six home games. And that's what you blew the lid about, was that they were only going to have six home games. Right, but if, it, if, right, but if the money is the overriding thing, they didn't have to buy out Western Kentucky. If that's the, the important thing here, well, you, you know, don't buy that well, series out. I think the important thing was, not playing a G5 team on the road. I guess. 
Yeah. I mean, they, they have several important things, I guess, you know. I don't know. I just, you know, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of it. Uh, yeah, Natalie, it would, it's a super fun trip. Lucas Oil Stadium is easily my favorite NFL stadium that I've ever been to, and Indy is a great setup for a downtown college football atmosphere. Like, nothing about it, just the game itself is a problem. I just, you know, I just think it's kind of a slap to your fans. Because it's not our responsibility to care about the money. But, I mean, but it's all part of the thing. It's all, now, you may not like it, but it is part of the business side of it. If you're going to be a fan. But as a fan, that's not my responsibility. Yeah. No, it's not. It's it's how you move up. You Like Cincinnati got to move up. And in moving up, there were decisions that had to be made in adjusting the schedule for the Big 12. Okay, that's fine. I'm done with this topic. Okay. I mean, I'm just like, look, I'm it's, not... it's, part of, it's part of this thing. It's the untalked about part of conference realignment and all the movement and all the money that's involved now and everybody chasing as much money as they can get. Yeah, the the fans at some point everybody's fans are at you know kind of in the mix at the expense of that. It's not great. I don't love it, but I, I just operate from a, like an understanding of this is this is what it has become. Right. It is. That's, like, it. you know, if you hate that, that's perfectly understandable. I don't think this part of it is what the sport has become. I do. The problem is you just don't see it much because... Then if money's so important, why don't we just play three road games for a non-conference and just make a ton of money? Because they're trying to act like a Big 12 team. They're not trying to act like Miami of Ohio. They're trying to fit in line with what the the new neighborhood that they the new gated community that they moved into from uh the 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 suburbs that you know the houses cost three hundred thousand dollars, but but all of them are shit. Well, tell Cincy Reigns to kick in then. <laughs> I mean, like I said, it's not my problem. I mean, it is. No, it's not, Chad. Yes, it's, yes, their, it's, it's their problem. They're the ones making $500 million a year salaries. You guys figure it out. Don't pawn it off on the fans like, hey, you guys, you got to, you got to, like the crap that Mark Stoops talks about. If you want good players, you got to pony up. No, come on. Like, if you want good games, sometimes we're going to have to go play at an NFL stadium so we can make three hundred, you know, $3 million so that we can you know, then break even on these buyout games that we have to have. Like, that is that is not my problem. It is now. No, it's not, because I'm not going to give them a dime for it. Maybe, okay. maybe they'll sell an extra ticket to a Nebraska fan, and it'll be 60,000 Nebraska fans at a UC so home you're, game. So you're not going because you're mad? No, I'm not you going because... You don't know your schedule. You don't I know, know if you're free on that day or not. I know my schedule doesn't allow me to take a trip to Indy for a day when I could have easily just gone to a game at Nippert. It's an extra three hours. 
No, it's not. In what world is that an extra three hours? To drive there and drive back. And you already already drive 30 minutes to use. If you think it's only going to take an hour and a half to leave after that game, then you're. I mean, (laughs) I don't know what the traffic flow looks like. That's okay, four hours. That, I mean, I like going to games at Nippert. That's my whole point. Like, I don't give a shit about going to watch Nebraska at the at Lucas Oil. So you, you're just because you're mad about it, you're not going to go. Maybe. Okay. <laughs> like maybe I don't know. And if you do go, I'll buy a ticket from Nebraska. <laughs> Nebraska doesn't have tickets to sell other than their home a lot, like their their family. No, they have. They gave them extras to sell. No. No, no. So that article believe, was wrong? I believe, well, they're just giving them the first 25%. I, I don't even, like, so, like, if I if you buy a ticket on Ticketmaster, UC gets all that money? Nebraska gets 25%. UC gets 75%. Or is it only, is it does the secondary market count? Well, the secondary market has to buy the tickets from somebody. Right. So, yeah, it does. So UC's allotment is three quarters of Lucas Oil Stadium. UC's allotment is the whole stadium, and they're giving twenty five percent of the sales to Nebraska to cover costs, the same as Cincinnati will get four hundred thousand dollars when they go to Nebraska. Which will never happen. That game is never going to happen. I I don't have a magic eight ball, Dave. <laughs> I know. I just you know you're sorry. speaking in hypothetical absolutes. Just like they are saying that we're going to make, they're going to get $3 million. That's what they project. Well, God forbid, there's no chance they could be wrong. I, of course they could be wrong. And if they're wrong, hypothetically. The same as when Mike Thomas moved games to Paul Brown Stadium, and we all said it was a terrible idea, and he did it anyway. And then the numbers came back, and they lost a shit ton of money because Mike Thomas didn't think in his brain that, oh, we're Skyline, they're Gold Star. We're Donato's, they're Papa John's. We're Coke and they're Pepsi. Oh, shit. We just lost all of our money because the people that we work with, we can't work with at Paul Brown Stadium. Like, yeah, he got crucified for that. After the fact. Did he, and we did it on Bearcat Journal at the time when that information became available. So right. if it turns out they make a million and a half, and it's a terrible financial decision, like when it's all said and done, we will sit here on this podcast and you will throw a fucking party because I you're right. Though. I don't I don't need to be right. And it's I, two road games, Nick. I don't I don't Just need I don't need two road games that not only require half a million dollars to buy out each, but one point two one point three, one point five million dollars. To bring in new opponents. How does how does stadium. buying two games out? This is just semantics, but like, how does buying two games out from Western cost the same as buying one game out from OU? Uh, it's just contract, like how contracts are written. You don't have to pay a whole lot to to buy them out from, like the one side of it. Like your your home game, you have to pay to buy them out from the road game part. That's that's where they're losing money. Hypothet, like in the home and home kind of trade off, I guess. Yeah, I mean, fine, whatever. I'm done with it. 
Okay. Uh, I mean, I, I get where you're. I know. I, I get the fan angst. I get it. But like, this is when you sell your soul to the devil, which is what college sports has done with television. It's not even about selling your soul to the devil. It's they just they just decided they wanted to have a chance to lose less money than if they would have had a game at Nippert. They didn't. Yeah, they, they didn't have a bunch of changes to make, and they, they have didn't a, se- a bunch I, of two they didn't sell out. They like they they chose X dollars over here or Y dollars less over here and have a game at Nippert versus X dollars over here have a game somewhere else. That was more important to them. I understand it. I think it's dumb. That's 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 it. I mean. That's fine. That, right, and that's it. That's that's my, that's been my whole point the whole time. Is I know what they did. I understand what they did. I think it's dumb. Okay. Like figure out a way to make up the the the, the grounds there. That's why you make a million dollars or five hundred thousand dollars a year to be in those they type of. They found a way. You just be, don't like it. <laughs> yeah, they they put a lot of effort into it. I can tell. I mean. Come on, Dave. Let's not fucking be stupid about it. They clearly put a shit ton of effort into it. I, I would imagine orchestrating a neutral site game in somewhere like Lucas Oil is not. Uh, hey, Steve, can we borrow your field for tomorrow night? Yeah. Next well, Thursday yeah, night? but I mean, whatever. Um, basketball. We are what? 10 days, uh, about 10 days away. Let's let's timestamp real quick. Are we moving any of those uh, games to like Schottenstein Center to make a couple extra $100,000? Hey, hey, Dave, they moved the game to Howard because they couldn't afford to buy any more home games. <laughs> you think they did a home and home with Howard because they were flush with cash? <laughs> you could have bought like a D3 school if you wanted a home game that bad. They... Dave, here's here's the other. I, thing. I know people at Wittenberg. I could have got them to come down. They'd have played. Here's the other thing that this fan base ignorantly believes: they believe with acceptance into the Big Twelve, they are now generationally wealthy. No, you're not. You haven't even gotten a check from the lottery yet. And guess what? They they don't get to pick the lump sum. They don't, they don't get to say okay. We're in the Big 12 now until uh, 2032 uh, through the next TV contract, and we would like the lump sum option on that. It's not how it works. Yeah, they're not. Really I, mean, I don't know. They're not. I don't know how. I don't know how the people on 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 this website don't understand that. Like, I think pretty much everybody knows oh, I, that they I don't. I saw a lot of people that. in this fan base that are like they are generationally wealthy. Uh, they don't have to worry about money anymore. That's just factually incorrect. I mean, I don't care. I don't even care about that game. Like, go, go win. Like, whatever. <laughs> yeah, go, do you go. think I, the the U.S. Bank game is an NIL game? That's the reason they did it. That's why it's at U.S. Bank Arena. I've said it thirty fucking times. Jesus Christ. Um, it's is a timestamp. Is there any any uh, nil involvement in this Nebraska game, or does that not possible. count it because possible. it's a UC home game? It is because it's at a neutral site. It is possible. 
And it's not like they are, I don't think they're at a point with the game being in 2025. Sure. I mean, so much could could change by then. But uh, I asked that question very specifically, and it is possible. And I guess my my question is, what does that mean, though? Like, the game is at U.S. Bank because of NI. What does that mean? Do the players actually get a cut of tickets sold? Like no, there's a there. Well, there's a third party that's managing the event. The money goes into the third party, and then however that comes out through the wash, the money is laundered from there. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. This 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 feels like uh, somebody's concrete company. And some and somebody's sanitation company got together and a, cu- a couple uh, a couple Guinea Guidos said, "Hey, why don't we uh, why don't we sponsor this basketball game? We can get our money cleaned up." And uh, you know, like that's what that's what I wonder. Like when we say, "Oh, this game is you know it's there because of NIL." Like, well, what does that actually mean to to the players? That means that they get money. I how that works, I don't know, Dave. <laughs> Oh, what did God. I used to say a lot around here? That is above my pay grade. Gotta love it. It is. It, look, man, we are in an interesting time for college sports. And I just, I'm not going to get worked up over it because money talks and I, I'm not smart enough to make those decisions. Yeah, I don't. I'm barely yeah. smart enough to keep this thing afloat. So I'm not going to pretend to be smarter than i am um but yeah let, let's let's go back oh, uh josh, josh I, believe me i know <laughs> you're, you're, you're talking to a an off the boater lineage i know <laughs> <laughs> this time stamp brought to you by turtles brew six percent abv zero sugar zero carbs gluten-free bourbon infused sweet tea you can find it at over 50 locations in the greater Cincinnati area. Go to turtlesbrew.com for more information and locations. A portion of the proceeds go to Save the Sea Turtles. They are in Cincinnati, Toledo, and expanding now in central Ohio. Uh, let's get to some basketball uh, before we get out of here. The basketball segment tonight brought to you by Home Field Apparel. They are a premium collegiate apparel brand based in Indianapolis. Their commitment to creating incredibly comfortable, officially licensed apparel with vintage college designs is a benefit for fan bases across the country. They have a growing collection of over 150 colleges to choose from, including the Cincinnati Bearcats. Go to homefieldapparel.com, shop the UC collection, enter BCJ23 at checkout to save 15%. All right. Yeah, Natalie, that's <laughs> that about sums it up. More money, more problems. The problem is there, Cincinnati doesn't have the more money yet. They just have the more problems. Yeah. The money will will come, we're told. We're told. Yeah. Till it's in the bank. <laughs> you don't, you know. Yeah. Ask, till- ask, uh, ask TCU about joining the Big East or Boise those, State about joining the Big East. So those checks clear. Right. You know, it, it's just, it sucks. It's unfortunate. I, I don't love it. 
but I just have my mind around the fact that everybody sold their soul for money. And when that happens, it's going to, some of the decisions are going to piss fans off. Uh, basketball. There was a scrimmage yesterday, Dave. Uh, I got to see a decent amount of it um, as I was bouncing back and forth, uh, talking to you, trying to at least uh, get your blood pressure down a touch uh, so that you weren't in the ICU. Here's the thing. My blood pressure is always, according to my doctors, dangerously low. So this looks good. No. It's good for you. No, popped it up a little bit because it doesn't even it doesn't need, like it doesn't change anything. Like I go in there and they're like, "Oh, your blood pressure's kind of low." I'm like, "Yeah, I'm, I'm a pretty cool cat." Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> not dangerously low. I don't I don't want to make it sound like I, I have any issues, but uh, I know. No. Uh, so scrimmage. Uh, I put some stuff on the board. Do you have any questions for me uh, about my? takes on this basketball team as we are 10 days, 11 days, whatever it is away from. Well, that would have required me to read what you put on the board. You don't have to. No, you just, Uh, you've got questions. When will will Aziz and Jamil be ruled eligible? Uh, I don't know. Well, that's all I really care about. I don't know. See you guys next week. (laughs) (laughs) I'll tell you this. Uh, they're going to be a lot better with disease than without him. Oh, <laughs> he, uh, he was playing. I went to volleyball last night. I saw a volleyball game yesterday, uh, and that was just Aziz spiking motherfuckers at the rim. A, 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 a real a honest question. Um, obviously, things will develop as we go and whatnot, sure. but um, I think. One of the concerns right now, from my standpoint, would be if we get into a crunch time situation, how do we manage offense in that area without maybe a a true, like, go-to guy? Are you just going to run offense and whoever open shot takes shot? Or is there somebody that maybe you think they would – Design a, a need to get a basket play for. Uh, it is feeling more and more as we get closer to the season like that is going to be Seamus. Um, he was really, really good yesterday. Uh, now, I think in the hour, 45 minutes to an hour that I was actually able to like dedicate to watching the scrimmage, uh, I think he went four of six from three, four of five, four of six from three. And if he does that consistently – you know, shoots uh, 60% from three, um, then they're going to be really, really good. But he did have uh, some finishes at the rim. He hit a couple mid-range shots. He passed it well. I think that's the thing that makes him more dangerous than anybody on the roster is he can score it with the ball in his hands, playing off pick and roll, playing downhill, hitting you know, shots from the outside and from the mid-range. But he's also very adept at making the right play. And if there's a guy that's open, finding them. So 
you know, if a defense loads up on him and you've got a CJ Frederick standing on the wing, that's shooting 42% or whatever, um, they're going to have to make a decision. Do we sag down to cut off what CMOS is doing or do we stick with CJ? So I think as the, the closer we're getting, I, I'm getting the feeling that he is the guy that in those situations, late shot clock, late game, um, I think he's earning that trust that he's going to be the guy that they put the ball in his hands uh, and, and let him play. I guess the other major question coming in, and we won't really have an answer to this for some time, is the having two point guards that have never dribbled the basketball at a, at a major division one level. I don't think you're going to have an, a clear answer to that in preseason, but just your overall assessment of day-day jizzle, you know, confidence level that it it might not be just a disaster. Um, I don't think it's going to be a disaster. I I do think from from what I've seen, I think I've seen two practices and two scrimmages. Day Day has been really solid. Now, has he been, you know, all league point guard hiccups? All-league point guard? No. I wouldn't I wouldn't go that route. But I haven't like been shaking my head. Like, oh boy. Are you going to die? No, I'm just <laughs> It's like gasping for air. <laughs> Am I gonna have to finish this show by myself? He just falls no. out. Oh. <laughs> I'm good. I think I got it out of the way. I think I, I think it, I think it was, I got it. Um, he has been steady. He has been consistent. Um, he's really good to the rim. Uh, yesterday he banged in a couple threes, and his his jump shot doesn't look broken. It looks pretty pretty repeatable, pretty solid. Um, I don't know that that means he's going to shoot thirty eight percent, but if he shoots thirty four percent, thirty three, thirty four percent. With his ability to get to the rim, I think it's a, a very good sign. Um, Jizzle has moments where you're like, man, he is going to be really, really fucking good. But he also has moments like he was trying to throw a pass on the wing. Uh, and I don't know that Aziz could have caught it. And it was to Simas. So, like, like, I mean... He's a if, if things go well, he's playing like 15 minutes a game. Yeah. Uh, and as but as he the thing for him is the learning curve, like as it flattens out, right? But you're not you can increase like, that. You feel good and like the point is is you right think, now I feel you think you'll what, feel good enough with Day Day that you won't yeah. have to have him playing equal to or more minutes when you know right. you're going to get freshman shit out of him that you hope you're right. not getting out of data. Also, like if you, you go off the reports from the Maryland scrimmage, Maryland pressed the entire game. Day-Day played 21, 22 minutes and didn't turn it over once. And from what I was told, a lot of that was uh, we're not running press break. 
we're giving the ball to Day Day, and Day Day is getting it up the floor, breaking the press by himself, and getting us into our offense. Like, we're not complicating matters. And look, there's nothing I love more than a point guard who looks at a press and goes, get, Yeah, get out of the way. The fuck out. Like, get out. I got this. Like, I love that. So, um, I feel like going into the season, he's ready to step up to this level. Obviously, Aziz factors into this greatly. So I'm going to ask this. I'm going to ask this question. Let's play the game that Aziz and Jamil are not eligible. Okay. A criticism that I had had previously was athleticism and just dudes that look like dudes. Because mm-hmm. Aziz is obviously a insane athlete. So, yes. and, and Jamil is a pretty insane athlete too, when you consider. To be 6'11", 270 pounds and to move right. like he does. Yeah. So they, they change the equation greatly. Let's, so sure. let's, say, let's say they're not a part of it. How is How does this team stack up in that phase comparatively speaking to last year or the year before, knowing, again, just like in football, we ain't playing ECU in Tulsa no more. Right. So, like, you know, the the, you the, are, the wings that we're going to be playing now are, are not 6'4", they're 6'7", and are trying to be lotto picks. So, like, how does that element of this team com- compare to previous teams? At point guard, you are – significantly more athletic than you've been in a long time. A long time. Like those guys, yeah, they're yeah. they're six I mean, one. Micah's calling card was not really athleticism. Right. And even with, with Mike Saunders, he, he was fast, but he wasn't you could get him out of the way easily. Like right. Like he wasn't super elite athletic. speed. He had elite <laughs> speed. He just didn't have a lot like that was the only that was it. Was the only, it was the only trick and in the bag. And if you, you bumped him off, off at all, he's three rows up in the bleachers. And did one of these. Um, the wing is interesting, Dave, because you have Dan, who I think with his lay is is a plus yeah, for sure. athlete. You have John, who is a plus athlete, pending where the knee is at. Everything I've heard is that. They've gotten this far, and it is it looks good. Um, I then you have CMOS and CJ, which aren't elite athletes, but are elite skill. Right. A little bit different in how each one does it, but they are high level skill. CJ six five. CMOS is legit six seven plus. And and um, you don't need a, a roster full of. All athletes, right? Because we saw how that worked. How you know, twenty years ago, uh, thirty years ago, and yeah, it was it was good to beat a lot of conference USA teams. Elite eight. Yeah, but um, <laughs> but yeah. So, but just in in the week, the night in, night out, like, oh look, you get to guard another guy that's going to be making millions of dollars, you know, yeah. next year, and then oh tonight you're. He's only a freshman, but guess what? He's six nine and can shoot the three and jump over your head if you if you allow it. So you know. they're much more able to or should be much more able to handle that with this roster. 
And interesting, interestingly enough, Dave, if they don't have Aziz and Jamil, then they look more like a Big 12 team. Right. Because I don't like, know of anybody else in the league that plays two bigs. Yeah. I think I, – I mean, I don't know the rosters right now. I know Oklahoma State had two that I think they played together – Two pretty good one, like pretty good ones last year that they that they played together a lot. Um, but no, you have you know like, can like Kansas will have Hunter Dickinson and then like KJ Adams and um, shit the other guy that came back, but he's more of a um, McCuller or whatever. Um, McCutcheon, I don't even know, but um, yeah, there's not like, no, no, not him. Um, there's, there's not like the traditional, like six eleven five and, and six nine four. Yeah. You're not playing the Arizona. Yeah. So, uh, and then do you think this team cumulatively has the ability to be around a 40% three point shooting team? No? Okay. There aren't many teams in college basketball that shoot 40% from three as a team. No? Very I thought that was kind of like the good three-point shooting teams did that. No, that's like a great three-point shooting player. Oh, okay. Um, like 35 I mean, Like 37 38% is kind of like you're a good three-point shooting team. Like if you can shoot that as a team. Now they're – there are some teams that, you know, kind of fudge the numbers in that they don't shoot a lot of threes, but they have like two guys right. that shoot them that are 45% guys. Um, yeah. I, you know, I think this can be a 36, 37% three point shooting team, which I think is, uh, it's not, it's solid. It's not going to hurt you. All right, but I, you know, yeah, I, I should, I should, uh, yeah. There was one team shot forty percent last year from three in college basketball. Yeah, so that's I'm, I'm off, certainly league. off on that number. I need to ref- <laughs> need to uh, change my uh, refra- refrain there. Um, but let let's see. Well, but I think uh, what you're thinking is as, as a player, as a player, forty percent is that's shooting the three at a really high clip. Yeah, 36, yeah. 37%, Nick, is kind of like that's the range. So, yeah, I'm certain. I think this team needs to aim for. I'm um, certainly off on that. It's probably going to be more like 35. UC, UC, shot, thir- UC shot 30, 30, little over 35 last year. And that was yeah. good for 117th in the country. Yeah. But the, obviously, the you're talking volume, about like tenths and hundreds they, of points. Well, yeah, they shot. They shot 894 threes last year. <laughs> the only, let's see. They're on the third page as far as clear percentage. And there are, I'm looking at it now. Uh, one, two, three. Like five teams that shot more threes than them. Yeah, that also though was in large part what, because they happened? didn't have anybody could that could get to the rim. Like they they couldn't penetrate right. the score, so they had to do whatever they could 
to move the ball and find an open three. Plus, DeJulius and Landers uh, would just call their own number when they felt necessary. This should be a yeah. team that... Yeah, I, I think that's, more... that's, my, that's my point of, like, because they have guys that can get to the rim, will that allow the spot-up guys to, to maybe shoot a higher percentage because it's kind of truly in the flow of the offense versus pass, pass, pass around, and then, oh, you need to shoot because the shot clock's about to expire. Or because there's 14 seconds on the shot clock and you decided it's time for you to shoot. Right, because um, you haven't shot in two minutes. <laughs> I do think that's the plan. I think with this team, the plan is a little bit smarter offense with better passing, better ball movement should lead to more efficiency from three. And not as much, uh, okay, tonight we're not making the three, so we're fucked. Because that, I mean, last year, if they weren't, you know, if they had a one for 10 stretch from three, they were in mooey, mooey trouble. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, what else you got? Anything? No. No, those were kind of my uh, my main questions. Um, you know, what about, I guess, like, guys that were on the team last year that played, you know, had a role, but it, you know, was, was kind of a, a background role, so to speak. Like, has anyone shown you, I mean, I think Dan would be like that easy answer, but like, has any of the, have any of those guys shown you like consistently that, like, Oh, you know, this guy might be able to be relied on a little bit more in the big 12. Well, there's very few of them. Right. There's only, True. There's six guys that returned. Um, only one of them was in the top five in scoring uh, in Vic. Um, you know, Odie is going to be interesting. And so much of this answer uh, depends on the waivers, right? Right. Because if, if Aziz and Jamil are not eligible, then you're going to have to go small at the four. If you go small at the floor, at the four, um, then you're going to have to play Josh more at the four, CMOS more at the four, uh, potentially John Newman more at the four. Um, <clears throat> so it changes the math on minutes. Mm -hmm. Um you know, because if you have, especially if you have both, which, I mean, I think we all realize it's much more likely that only one gets a waiver than both, just playing the, the percentages. Yeah. Um, if you have one, then Vic is going to have to also play, you know, X amount of minutes at the five, or Odie's going to have to play X amount of minutes at the five. Um, and it'll open up some minutes at the four. But if you have neither, Odie and Vic are going to have to play the five like mm -hmm. a majority of what their role or responsibility is the five, which means those other three guys are going to have to play the four. And that means Josh is going to get a lot more opportunity. Um, and Odie's going to get a lot more opportunity in that scenario, probably. 
Um, and then that opens more minutes for Dan on the wing, because then you're probably going with like CJ, Dan, CJ and Dan and a mix of CMOS and, and John, like on the wing when you, in your wing minutes. So, <clears throat> I mean, Dan is clearly the obvious answer. The thing that's going to be a challenge for Dan as we go through this evolution of like Dan learning to play high level basketball is he is going to have a bad shot phase. I think this year yeah, at times, at times, because he's still learning what being a volume guy is, or like, you know, being a guy, not a volume guy necessarily, but that has your volume turned up. Like his volume last year was like a three, a two, right. maybe. Now they need his volume to be a six or a seven. Um, so how many times does he force something that a wiser Dan, as he continues to develop, will realize it's not a good shot? Like some of that you hope you work out in the non-conference. Part of why you have an easier non-conference schedule is so you can get a guy like Dan through those teaching moments. And by the time conference play rolls around, he's not taking one-footed baseline like fadeaways, like one-handed, one-footed baseline, you know, difficult shots uh, just because he knows it's time for him to get shot up, so to speak. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a lot of it is situational. A lot of it is dependent on how these things play out. But, you know, hopefully we have an answer before, or at least on one, hopefully we have an answer before the season starts. Uh, but it's the NCAA, so I'm not fucking holding yeah. my breath. No, they, uh, they work at their own pace and, you know, make the rules up as they go along. Yeah, and now there's, you know, they announced today there's new legislation that they might, you know, just allow second-time waivers next year. <laughs> yeah. I mean, avoid lawsuits. Why not? Yeah. That's what I've always, oh. like, that's what I've always never understood is, like, why does this matter? I know it's what the coaches wanted. It's yeah. hilarious that the coaches asked for more guardrails and they gave them to them and now they complain about it but of course why didn't you just say like we don't care like kids can be eligible like you know because coaches by nature dave want control oh i know but then i know that's what and then they give it to them and now they're mad because now they're mad that they have yeah that they Mm -hmm. don't have the control that they thought that they were gonna right i want you to not allow my rivals player to be eligible <laughs> but my player he has followed the everything that you have set out for him to do and he must be real no, eligible if i don't want that player to leave my school right but if i'm taking a player from somebody else's school i would like him to be, to be like, able to come yeah, play for yeah. me yeah temple would have loved for jameel reynolds not to have been able to transfer uh, because they would be better with him on their team. Yeah. And, you know, Cincinnati would like for him to be eligible. <laughs> yep. Yeah, that's a good one, Natalie. Episode 403, Money and Legislation. And Oklahoma two, State. Two super fun things to talk about. 
<laughs> on a college sports podcast. <laughs> At least your blood pressure is still low. I'll, I'll survive. With low blood pressure, maybe not. That's like I said. <laughs> All right, that's going to wrap it up. Appreciate you, Dave, for uh, for holding down the fort while I was at the volleyball. Of course. It was fun. We had a great time. Thanks to Molly Alvey and the volleyball program for uh, for hosting. And uh, I guess I'll be. they have four more home games. It sounds like I'll be there. Maybe you get season tickets. I, you know. Become, you can become the number one women's the number one volleyball donor. I, I could. I could. <laughs> That's gonna wrap it up. We will uh we'll see you next time. Thanks to everybody for tuning in. Thanks to our guest. What was his name again? Uh McLean Baxley. Yeah, McLean Baxley. That's him. Thanks to him and the Oklahoma State 24-7 site. We'll see you next time. It's the BCJ Podcast. We'll see you at the Holy Grail, 8 p.m. Saturday night. Maybe Dave will be there. Maybe Vogel will be there. Kelsey will be there. It's the BCJ Podcast right here on BearcatJournal.com.